Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Big Monday Show. My name is Charles Simon. I am the host of the Going in Circles podcast network, which is home of the Big Monday Show. With us in just a few minutes will be the sniper, Mr. Barry Spears, the co-host of the Big Monday Show. We have a lot to talk about this weekend. We had two and a half derby preps. We had the Withers at Aqueduct. We had the Sam Davis at Tampa, which Mr. Spears was in attendance for and, and will give us a full reporting on the ground, on the boots on the ground reporting from Tampa. And uh, the San Vicente at California in uh, San Anita, excuse me. Um, well, I guess San Anita is in California. Was on Saturday, and it's not a official Derby prep, but there might be a couple horses coming out of there that uh, that wind up continuing on on the Derby trail. So we'll give a t- talk about that. We'll talk about some of the other stakes that were run on Saturday at Tampa. We'll talk about the Stupid Bowl. Uh, oh, I mean, excuse me, Super Bowl. We'll talk about some other. Uh, news of the day or the week or or since we've last spoke and uh, well we got a couple opinions so just hold on one minute and we'll be right back with the sniper the going in circles big monday show is proud to be sponsored by BRL Equine, the premier equine supplement company in the horse racing industry. This is not a fly-by-night operation, BRL Equine. They spend millions of dollars on research and development before these products hit the market. They only use FDA-supervised facilities to manufacture their products. They don't use fillers. They use the best ingredients. What they say is in them is in them. And I can personally testify that they work, which is certainly the most important factor in equine supplements. They stand behind their product. BRL Equine offers a money-back guarantee if you're not satisfied. They currently have four products for racehorses. Flexify, Unlock, Bleeder Shield, and EPO Equine, the legal EPO. Contact Joe Villante at 215-501-6880. Tell him Chuck from the Big Monday Show said to call. He will fill you in on all the details. And you never know, he might even buy you lunch. BRL Wine, the best of the best. Mr. Spears. Mr. Chuck Simon, Pet Detective. I am a pet detective. I don't currently have a pet, but I also don't detect any here. <laughs> My landlord doesn't allow him, so I'll get in trouble if he detects one. Then you have to smuggle one in. Well, we smuggled ourselves into Pegasus. <laughs> that counts. That, that does count. <laughs> We're considered pets in some societies. Let me. <laughs> uh, no, um, we're off to a rousing start tonight. <laughs> um, well, the big news, I guess, of the racing uh, week is that uh, you 
made it to the Derby prep to Sam Davis on Saturday. I did. It was it was kind of a an audible last minute. You know, got the the great old uh DM invite from the from the great people at Stable Duel. And they're like, hey, come on out. We got tickets for you. And I said, you know what? Let's do this. <laughs> hey, why not? It's a it's one of the tracks that's actually open to people. It seemed like yes. a decent crowd. Oh yeah, it was pretty nice. It it wasn't ridiculous, but it wasn't uh, empty. It, it it definitely had more of a crowd feel than the Pegasus. Um, but it's you know it's Tampa Bay. You know it has its own unique kind of charm, and uh, it was a good day. I had a lot of fun. Racing was pretty decent. Not too much. Not too many long shots, unfortunately. But I had I had to make the most of it, and uh, it was it was pretty good. The rain held off. That was like I got the worry a couple of days prior. Yeah, everybody thought it was gonna rain. I mean, all week. Um even my wife was like, Hey, it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain. You still think we should go? And I was like, It's not gonna rain. Well, Gulfstream should have hired you to make that statement because it did rain there. Oh man, it poured. I I, I remember looking at the TV on the simulcast and I couldn't see anything. At, at a couple of points. <laughs> no, it, it was it was it was uh it was a nasty storm for about a half hour. I mean, where it just came in and poured down rain. They tried to keep a couple of later races on the turf, but there was just no shot. But uh, yeah, it was uh, the the Irad show also. The Irad show, which isn't that um, you know not surprising. No, but... of course uh, some of the. The top names from here that are riding here regularly weren't here. They were up in Tampa. Johnny V was up there, uh, Junior Alvarado, and a couple of the other guys. So, yeah, little fisticuffs. Yeah, we we had almost. a we had a uh, a brouhaha almost between uh, Adam R. Sanchez and and Junior Alvarado after the uh, the endeavor when uh, Santos was on the lead and kind of uh, Santos not Sanchez. Um, he kind of bore out there at the top of the stretch, and I guess Junior wasn't happy about it. And, uh, I mean, it was kind of an overblown incident. It just seemed like they had uh, threatened each other. But, you know. Yeah, the valet had to step in. They, I mean. Um, you could have been, I, like, you could have been like Michael it. Buffer and then ran down there and, <laughs> and, and uh, announced the. Trust me, if you would have heard the people trying to egg that on, <laughs> you, you would have been proud. It was it, it was like a football game. It was like, hey, they, they just wanted them to fight. Um, you know, I looked at that race uh, a few times. I, I looked at the replay right after the race. I looked at the head on and I didn't see much. I mean, not saying that that junior didn't have a beef at all. I just didn't see it. Um, I was talking to somebody today online and. They said that uh, the first turn was the problem, not the second. So, yeah, I, I, was I, I have to look at it again. It, it might be something that happened that wasn't easily, you know, detected by just watching it. And uh, I mean, listen, it's a dangerous job. There's no doubt about it. And um, the the way guys ride nowadays, um, it's just more dangerous than it used to be. And a lot of it is because the stewards are inept most places. They just don't want to do anything. And um, they've let 
it gets to the point where nobody knows what a foul is. Nobody knows what, you know, where the line should be drawn and things happen all the time. And we haven't had any really um, big disqualifications lately, at least in important races. The last race at Tampa, there was. Hey, it was important to me. Uh, now that that race, you know, the the biggest beef I had with that, because Chris DiCarlo, who's basically steward in training, um, said this morning on Twitter, he said, you know, that he was really he kind of herded the guy out, and you know that 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 takedown wasn't um, it wasn't unjustified, and you I I could see where you could have that 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 case, but the problem is, and I said this to, to my reply to him was this was that if you take that race in a vacuum. And you say, okay, watch this race. Is this a DQ? Yes or no? Okay, that's fine. But that's not how life works. The problem is that a lot more than that has been let go at that particular track. And the problem yes. I had, the really big problem I have, and I still have this problem, and, and I think it's, um, it just shows why the steward system we have is broken. Because the stewards don't really do anything, and they don't really have to uh to answer to anyone which is wrong because most of them aren't really that good and <laughs> clearly they didn't put an inquiry up on that race now the yes, incident that, happened, that, happened at the eighth pole surprised okay? me and, and and you're at the eighth pole <laughs> and it was clearly obvious if you watched the replay and there's supposed to be a steward that's watching the head-on view the entire way if you watch the head-on view which is where you could see the incident because when you watch the pan shot, it's not that evident that anything really happened. You have to see the head on. And when you watch the head on, he did come over a couple paths. Uh, Camacho's horse did come over a couple paths. There's no doubt that that happened, but they didn't put the inquiry sign up. And it took that, a that, that amazed me actually after looking at it, that amazed me because I, I even, you know, and I was at the fence uh, probably about 70 yards from the finish line. And I, you know, and I, I wanted the three, obviously. I, I got put up there. But um, I said to the people standing next to me, I was like, I think they're going to take a look at this. And everybody's like, no, no. Well, and, and, and the only reason I say that, because the three had all the momentum, at least from where I was standing, you could see the three had all the momentum was going, going by and then all of a sudden didn't. And usually, you know, when you're watching the pan shot, it means the horse kind of drifted out a little bit or they or they bumped. Um, whether it was enough to take them down, I couldn't tell until I saw, you know, the head on. But I, I they should have caught that. It, it should have went up as an inquiry, at least to look at initially. That's my beef, because when you when you think about when you consider that had the jockey who ran second and sometimes jockeys maybe they're apprentices or maybe they're guys that are you know aren't aren't um uh guys that ride a lot maybe they're a guy that's maybe a little intimidated by the guy who won the race because he's the leading rider or a top rider um depending on the jockeys to claim foul it's just it's not if if you're talking about a subtle thing that happened in the turn where the angle on the camera's not great, and, and it was kind of a, and it may be tougher to pick up. Okay, that's fine. But not this. This is at the eighth pole. It was, it was very, very clear, especially when you looked at the 
um, the harrow marks on the track, which aren't exactly always, you know, straight lines like it's in track and field or something, but they give you a decent idea of where the horses are and where the horses wound up and they wound up kind of outside of those harrow marks. And that's the thing is like, okay, if you want to take that horse down, if they had hung the inquiry sign um, and they took them down, okay, I wouldn't have nearly as big of a problem as I do the fact that they didn't put an inquiry up and it took a jockey's objection in a, in a plainly obvious space in the race where, where the stewards should be paying attention enough. And someone on Twitter said, you know, seems like, like uh, the last race is, uh, is, is, you know, is always a little bit ripe for those kind of uh, you know, look the other way deals. And I, I just, uh, it's just aggravating to me because I just feel that the stewards in this country in general, I think there's some really good stewards. There's some really, some really good stewards that do a good job that, um, you know, keep up to date on the rules that, that, uh, you know, work hard at it, but there's a lot of them that aren't. And there's a lot of them that, um, you know, mail it in. <laughs> they don't have anyone, you know, looking over the shoulder or a- anyone that, that judges them or, or measures their performance. And, and that's, I mean, these should not be, okay, you get a steward's job and you're a steward until you don't want to be a steward anymore to, you know, that, that, that's just not how it should work. These aren't Supreme Court justices. <laughs> and, and that's, that, that's why we wind up in the, these places that we wind up in a lot of ways. And some of it is apathy on, the, on the, the part of track management that isn't educated enough to understand the difference. Some of it is uh, depending on which state and, and who employs them. Um, you, you know, it's, it's very tough for racing regulators to be savvy enough to understand the differences between um, incidences. So, that, you know, that, that's one of the problems that, that we face. And that's the problem that we're going to face when the new federal law comes in, too. And that there's, right. there's no horse racing experts waiting on this side that are going to, you know, be be called on to, uh, you know, make all these these brilliant judgments. It's going to be the same type of people. And, you know, and, and maybe people think that, like, we're being a little bit too. Well, I, I mean, we can we can have them judge for themselves. I mean, I don't know if we preface this, but this was uh, Saturday, February 6th, race 12 at Tampa Bay. And if you, anybody out there listening wants to comment, you could tweet us, send us an email. Um, we'd like to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, it's always a good discussion. And, you know, just to reinforce what uh, Mr. Simon was saying, you know, there's no incentive really for, for stewards to be better. And I think that's part of the problem is, you know, they don't have any accountability. So why why would they be better when they really don't have to be? No, and that, that's and, and listen, when you watch the, the race, it's not like I said, if you look at the race in a vacuum with that with nothing else being considered, it's not like some of the calls like the Monmouth call where they took the horse down that literally did nothing. Um or the call at you know, a couple of the calls at, at California were no one could seem to understand what the same week, right? What, what, same you know, no, no one could seem to understand what they were doing, or the worst was the Red Mile, where the guy with the bullshit oh, stopwatch. Oh man, that was horrible. I mean, that that guy is you know, 
that guy not only is incompetent, he's arrogant, which is a, a, a really a double whammy. But, you know, like you said, it, you might look at that and say, what, the, what are they talking about? That, that, you know, I could see where that's a DQ. Well, you know, you're not wrong. But, but like, again, the issue is, is that it took the inquiry, or excuse me, it took the jockey to alert the stewards to something they certainly shouldn't have been, been alerted to. And that particular track has let an awful lot go. Um, I saw, I actually, um, I think it was about two or three weeks ago, I saw them put up an inquiry, look at it for literally two minutes, and take it down. Yeah. And it was worse than what happened on Saturday. Right. And no, and no change. So, you know, it's it's roll the dice. I mean, I, I kind of knew it was going to go my way when it took longer than, you know, <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> right. Well, let's talk about the Sam Davis itself. Um, you know, going into the race, it, it seemed like the Sam Davis so far was the one derby prep with the uh, the largest amount of horses that literally have no shot <laughs> to not only win that race, but to, to be, um, you know, to, to be horses that wind up on the derby trail. I did a, a quick little preview in the going in circles digest and there was i think four or five of them that i didn't even think merited a sentence so it was you know this one that one the maiden uh you know the number the two horse a couple of the ones that just were like hopeless long shots um but the winner uh Candyman can was was kind of a horse i hate betting um Horses that break their maiden, six furlongs stretching out to a mile and a sixteenth, you know, in stakes company. I, I mean, like, he's a good horse, and obviously a lot of good horses can do that. But I just thought that uh, he was a little bit overbet. I thought the morning line was a little bit uh, ambitious for him, but, uh, you know, a little high. But I, I wasn't a big fan of his. I actually used um, the one horse. Uh, hidden reserve most and to be honest he he got a perfect trip on the inside uh hector diaz rode him really really well but for some reason that horse doesn't switch leads and, and he did it again i guess he has done this as uh his last two races which were winning efforts at churchill and keeneland he won despite not changing leads um but he kind of loomed a little bit, but then never really threatened. But, uh, he, you know, he ran a decent enough performance. Uh, but the Bill Mott horses, you know, running one, two, um, you know, they, 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 they ran well. But, I mean, from my point of view, I don't know that I'm really um, real enthused about anyone coming out of this race. No, they, they, they finished up really, really slowly. And... I mean, visually and time-wise, um, I I actually bet uh, Nova Rags pretty good. I thought the horse was going to get there, but they they just last part of that race. Everybody kind of just put on the brakes. Uh, Known Agenda didn't run a step. I, I mean, they they could probably run that horse the next day. It's very he, odd. He didn't do anything. Known Agenda's last two races has been 
has been super sluggish in the beginning of the race. I mean, the first half mile, the jock is all over him to try to get him to just even keep up. And, and he, you know, he makes, uh, you know, the other day he made kind of like a little bit of a belated rally um, because he, he was, he was still ninth. Yeah. He's way back at the three quarters. So, I mean, with, with, with just a little bit more than a quarter mile to go, he was still way back ninth and, and just, um, you know, he, and was wide. And Johnny V was was kind of riding him the whole race. And he finally got I mean, in gear in the stretch. But, I mean, he, was, he had been so far behind. It's just it, it's just hard to believe that, um, that maybe Todd Pletcher might, might put blinkers on that horse or try something different because he's just getting so far behind. And the pace was honest. It was reasonable pace. I mean, they went 23, 46, and 4, uh, 3 quarters and 110. So it, it was a solid enough pace. Um, but, um, and, and they did, you know, they did slow down a little bit, uh, the, the, the third quarter between, uh, uh, the, the three quarter mark and the mile mark was uh, 26 and change. So, um, you know, but it, you know, on agenda seems like he's a little bit of a, uh, a difficult horse to ride. Yeah. Well, I, I, I heard some grumblings about him not liking the surface and he kind of ran that way. Um, so I'm not, I'm not totally dismissing him, um, because, you know, Tampa, as you know, that surface isn't for everybody. Um, I'd like to see, or I'm very curious as to where he's going to show up next. Um, my guess he's going to be back at Gulfstream Park somewhere, but where, what spot, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him wind up back at, uh, Aquedon. Or up. Oh, I was going to say up north, yeah, that that's um, true. You know, it, it just is, it's hard to say. I mean, and, and Pletcher has got a million. See, I think he's got forty three or forty six nominated to the Triple Crown. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, Jeez. some of those will be pointed to the Belmonts. And it's it's very weird that, that Todd has hardly ever run horses in the Preakness. It's it's almost bizarre in that um, in that he. The only, virtually the only horses that he's run in the Preakness are ones that have won the Derby, um, where you literally have to, you know, run in the Preakness. But um, he doesn't run in the Preakness very much. I mean, most of the time, if his, his horses get to the Derby, the ones that, that, that make it through the, the rigors of the the early, uh, you know, Derby Trail campaigns, and they make it to the Derby, and, uh, you know, most of them flame out because it's a 20-horse race, and most, you know... <laughs> most of them don't run good so um you know with 46 to, to go and uh you know he's had a couple run decently um uh, he was uh second at, in the in the withers at aqueduct with a horse who had uh, broke his maiden after a kind of a sluggish sprint race who had broke his maiden going a mile um Though the time was was really slow that day, um, that is uh, uh, overtook. Overtook was oh, I, yeah. I kept yeah. I kept thinking overcast, but I'm thinking to myself, Chuck, it's not overcast. Um, so you know, he ran uh, kind of a <laughs> kind of a, a, a way back, making a, you know late run uh, in the uh, the withers. He he was last. 
um, for a half mile too. So interesting enough, the, the Todd Pletcher Derby uh, contenders, you know, took the, the scenic route, which is, you know, most of his horses usually show some speed. He doesn't have a whole lot of dead closers. So um, that was kind of a, um, kind of a surprise. You know, his Donegal Bay, I mean, I mean, to switch over to the Withers right away, but, you know, Donegal Bay was, was coming out of a, a maiden breaking sprint race uh, shipped to Aqueduct for the Withers. And he, he kind of showed early speed and, and then just kind of backed up. And uh, last week in the Holy Bull, he had a horse that, that was coming off of a, I actually, I think ran the same day. It was um, the same day. Yeah. yeah. And he ran in the Holy Bull, a sprint winner to, um, you know, to, to the mile on the 16th. And of course, um, didn't, didn't fire, you know, lean ran okay, but was kind of a non-threatening. But uh, Todd's got so many of them, it's hard to, it's hard to divide them all up. And, but I wouldn't be surprised if no agenda winds up back at, um, at Aqueduct. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like you said, he just runs at the end of the races. So maybe he wants to, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll run him back quicker. Um, maybe try him back into Gotham going on you know, one turn mile where he's going to get more pace. I, I don't know. It's very, it's very interesting because he, he just got such a sluggish early, um, a sluggish early, early foot in the races. And that's just not the, the typical Todd Pletcher type horses. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, it, it's always kind of baffling when you do see horses like that from him because like you said, you're used to seeing him on the lead, breaking well. I mean, that horse, I don't think, has broke well <laughs> yet. So um, <clears throat> it's it's real mind-boggling, especially, you know, the way racing is in America on the dirt. You know, you need speed. I mean, that's, that's just how it works. Um, there's not many Silky Sullivans out there anymore. No. Or Zunatas or, you know, horses that just pure you know, closers. You don't see that. Um, you see a lot of stalking types that kind of look like closers at times, but they they have speed also. So it's, it's not like, it's not the same. True. Well, uh, you know, getting back to the Sam Davis, um, a, a couple of horses, other horses really didn't show up at all. Um, Smiley Sabata, who had yeah. just got beat in the Kentucky Jockey Club, I was a little bit wary of that one because he, he ran a, weak. a good race at, at Churchill in a grade two or grade three uh, with Julian Leperu riding him. And Leperu wound up uh, riding for Rusty Arnold. Uh, Rus- he, he, he rode Runway Magic, who, I mean, he's bred to be a sprinter and he appears to be a sprinter. Uh, he went off 15, 16 to one in this race and he wound up on him. And Dale didn't bring a rider. He had a, a local guy ride that horse. So, so that to me was was a um, was was a big negative right <laughs> off the start. And and he showed some speed, but he just backed up terrible. He he really didn't show much of, of anything at all. Millian um, was was another Pletcher who had broke his maiden and maiden fifty didn't show up at all. Um, Ricochet was looked a little bit overmatched, kind of chased on the outside and, and, and uh, backed up. Um, Lucky Law ran. Uh, that was that was Patrick Biancone's horse who had run on the turf. 
um, a couple times trying to turf the first time by known they never. He made a little bit of a run, but but didn't really uh, didn't really impress that much. I'm, I'm guessing he'll go back to the um, back to the the dirt. Um, Boca Boy, who set a, a pretty solid pace off of a long layoff, he had won the uh, Florida Stallion Stakes um, back in in uh, um, before before uh, Gulfstream Park West meet. So I think about four months ago. So he um, back in September. He, he ran okay, but I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't. He really want to go? Yeah, right. I, I don't know that uh, he really wants to go further than that. So, um, you know, that leaves us with the first three: Candyman, Rocket, uh, uh, Nova Rags, and Hidden Stash. You know, all, all who raced uh, good. I mean, Candyman Rocket certainly improved in his next, you know, second start. Um, he's, uh, you know, a pretty decent horse. Nova Rags, who had already won over the Tampa track, you know, he, he ran a decent race too, but, um, you know, he, he didn't exactly have, uh, the, the world's worst trip. And I'm guessing that the Sam Davis, which it rarely is a factor in the Derby, um, itself. So just maybe a handful of horses who have had any, I don't think any have won, but have even had any impact, um. Who won it last year? Was it Independence Hall? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. My buddy, I like that horse. Yeah, yeah. Well, he got you. He made you some money on on Pegasus today, but yeah, a little bit, a little, a little sample. Could have got, could have got the the sweep of the 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 uh, the verticals if he would have finished second. <sighs> hey, listen, you're gonna make you're gonna make millions of dollars with the video you got that day, so. <laughs> Don't be greedy. You know, be actually, greedy. you know what's funny? Uh, I, I I I met some people from Twitter and people I didn't know from Twitter and people I did, and that was the one of the first things is they said. This is the guy that took that video, and I was like, the video. Oh man, <laughs> the video, <laughs> the video. <laughs> it was hilarious. <sighs> That's all right. At least they're watching and they're looking. So, you know, well, horse players, which is cool to see. Speaking of, uh, well, not video, but audio. Um, the Endeavor was won by uh, Canterbury or Counter Rotter. Counterparty Risk. Counterparty really, Risk. Really good looking horse. Mr. Grunder had a very, very difficult time with this race. <laughs> Even though it was a six horse race and, and there wasn't a whole lot of movement in the race. He, he, he very had a very difficult time. Uh, <laughs> with that and i don't say this with any malice because honestly i really like him he's a good guy and you know i was thinking about this and and, and like maybe other people disagree i'm sure people disagree but but like i think that dampo should should keep him on until like his his he's ready to quit until he can't talk anymore and you hear the voice and you know what track is running and that is the one thing uh like uh, kind of sad news marshall cassidy passed away a couple days ago and when I was a kid in New York, um, for the most part, Marshall Cassidy was the announcer when uh, when he when I was started, you know, really paying attention to racing. Um, Marshall Cassidy was the track announcer at Naira, and uh, for years and years and years, and, and then um, they hired Tom Durkin, who was the track announcer at Naira for for a long time. Um, but like you hear Marshall Cassidy's voice, and you know it's Naira. Um, it, it's just that, that voice, uh, 
was always associated with Belmont, Saratoga, and Aqueduct. Uh, and, you know, the one thing about Durkin was Durkin, was, who's, who's, in my opinion, the best track announcer that ever lived outside of, you know, Pete Aiello and Gabe Pruitt and all my friends that are track announcers and the great Bullet Bob Meyer, <laughs> RIP. But, um, I mean, honestly, Tom Durkin is really about as good as it gets as a track announcer. I mean, he just was really, uh, you know, he had his own style. He, he started injecting a lot more um, character and, and uh, you know, quips in the race. But, um, you know, Tom Durkin started out, uh, I mean, the first time I, I, he came on my radar was he was at the Meadowlands. Um, he did Hialeah as well. Um, and then he wound up going to New York. And, and even when he was in New York, then he, he cut the deal where he would spend the winters uh, doing Gulfstream. So, yeah. yes, his voice is certainly associated with a lot of classic New York races. But you turn on a couple, you know, you go on YouTube and you listen to some races from Hialeah. Or you listen to Mac Lobel winning the Hamiltonian. Um, or you listen to quite a few, you know, Florida derbies you're going to hear Tom Durkin's voice. So it's not just Naira, but um, I like when tracks have an announcer and they keep the same announcer. I like what Churchill's doing with Travis Stone. And I like what Goldstream's done with Pete Aiello. And I like, you know, the fact that John Embriol is the announcer. What, you know, what, what your feelings are about these guys, that's your own personal opinion. But I think they all do a fine job. And um, I, I like having... Um, kind of a voice that's continuity, you know, continuity uh, of, of the same voice. Um, and <laughs> like him or, or, or not, and, and, and he is as unique as a guy there is, and he's a nice guy. I mean, he is like a super nice guy. Um, Mr. Grunder is, is a, he's a classic. <laughs> You gotta love him, man. I mean, he's a, he's a he's a Florida treasure, <laughs> if not a national treasure. Yeah, he was uh, he was he he was at his best in that race. He really was. That's a tricky name, though. I, I mean, to to his defense, uh, like counterparty risk. Listen, that's a tough name to call. Listen, I butcher names all the time, but I don't get paid. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I thought counterparty risk. You know, got a perfect trip. It was probably the best, anyways. New York gal, uh, girl ran second. Uh, Margaret Stroy, my friend's horse, uh, kind of sucked along on the inside and stayed inside and, and finished up, finished up nicely and got some greatest stakes placing in a, in a fifteen thousand dollar check. So, um, you know, forget the rest. It's kind of interesting to see, or not interesting, but. Uh, odd, I thought, to see um, such a small field. The Endeavor usually has an overflow field. And there was a couple scratches, but uh, I don't know. I guess maybe you know, rain in the forecast, people maybe outthunk out, out themselves or something. I don't, I'm not really sure. But uh, but uh, it was, you know, it was a decent race. Of course, the Chalk ran one, too, which, which weren't on my tickets, but... That's how yeah, they 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 seem to be even on paper the best too. It's just it's just hard to swallow, you know, taking a three to five shot at any time, <laughs> you know. But you know, he he, she basically got a a, a trip that uh, 
may not have happened for not the uh, the little kind of controversy between the three and the six in that race. Right. Right. The um, the ninth race was the Suncoast, which uh, I believe was a Derby or excuse me, an Oaks Point race, um, though it's not a graded race. Uh, it was, um, you know, it was a decent enough race. I mean, most of the horses in there hadn't done a whole lot uh, outside of, of, you know, breaking maidens and a couple of decent stakes placed horses. But um, uh, I, I thought feeling mischief was a real disappointment. Um, she kind of tracked uh, Be Sneaky, who was hmm. the Delacour's horse who went to the lead, and and, and Feeling Mischief really just packed it in at, at, at the quarter pole, and, and uh, really just just I mean she came to a walk almost. Uh, there was a couple outsiders in there. Curlin's Catch was the winner, got a nice trip. Gallardo came up the inside. She kind of drew off. Um, you know she's a curlin out of an AP and Merit. She figures to, you know, to get better as the, and I believe she was a maiden breaker as well. And she figures to get better as the distances get farther. This was a mile 40 um, and, you know, might, might be good enough to, uh, to be a, a decent uh, horse on the Oaks road to the, uh, you know, the road to the Oaks or whatever they call it. But um, the rest of them, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't see too much else. It's going to come out of this race and, and make a lot of noise. Um, Gulf Coast, who was entered in this race, scratched and, and wound yeah. up running uh, today, today right? at Aqueduct in a three-horse race, which on the Aqueduct conveyor belt um, <laughs> didn't uh, ran, ran second. <laughs> Everybody that ran is going to get stakes placed out of, out of the uh, out of that race today at the Big A postponed because of uh you know it was supposed to be run yesterday was was run today because of the uh the weather and there's supposed to be more poor weather but um yeah the ruthless was won by miss brazil who won uh you know pretty easily but um you had a horse in the race it was beat 52 lengths <laughs> it's it gets a check gets a twelve thousand dollar check and it gets a more importantly gets a stake placing uh, I wonder, I, you know, it's interesting. I wonder, I wonder what the record is for <laughs> most lengths of defeat while still getting stakes placed. That's got at, right? at, at a major racetrack. I'm not talking about you know, Kyoka Downs or somewhere. That's got to be up there. Fifty-two. Fifty-two. Man. A fifty-two length defeat. Black type. It's funny. When you look in the the pedigree page in the catalog, when the horse sells as a broodmare, that black type is going to look like she got beat. She was third, got beat two necks, not <laughs> two football fields. But yeah, Gold Coast scratched, uh, wound up kind of chasing today, which is not. I don't think you know. I, I think uh, Franco Roder and he really had to to move earlier than he probably wanted to, cutting back in distance because she had won uh, at Gulfstream. Um, on New Year's Day, um, but uh, yeah, going com- again coming out of the Sun Coast, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what your impressions were in the race, but I, I don't think, I mean, on, on the, the the sheet numbers, the, even the, the buyer numbers, they weren't real strong going in, and I don't know that outside of the the winner, I don't know that um, 
they're going to be real strong coming out of it either. Yeah, the top two to me look like the the best two. And then yeah, be sneaky and Curlin's cash. That the beyond that, it's it's shaky. <laughs> right, I hear you. Um, they also ran the uh, the Tampa Bay Stakes, which is a Grade Three mile and sixteenth on the turf. It's kind of the boys' division of the uh, Endeavor, um, and it it had a, a huge field, which is a little bizarre because you would think the Phillies race would get a bigger field, but uh, I mean I know they had a race scheduled at Gulfstream that wound up you know coming off the turf, and they had races on uh, Pegasus Day at Gulfstream as well, so. You know, the, this time of the year, there's quite a few, you know, spots for these turf horses. But, um, you know, the uh, the Tampa Bay Stakes was a really, it, it was an excellent betting race. Sure was. Uh, I didn't wind up cashing because I got, I, I got a little bit confused in there. Um, I wound up using the horses who finished second and third, Eons. For uh, Delacour, oh, who who that ran hurt my second a lot, uh, nineteen to one, and admission office, who I think actually left uh, Oldsmar at one point during the race, and I think he was over in Daytona, and <laughs> and, and he kind of like rallied again, and and came back to Oldsmar and and finished up strong with the. It's crazy that horse. It, just can't win. It loves to be second and third. But yeah. I mean, it just gets too far behind. Yeah, that's it. It just, just that much, you know, and, and it costs him every time. And, and it's not like he doesn't get close either. He's always right there. You know, uh, Eddie C, the, the, who actually challenged me to a three point contest today. And Oops. I will just bury him. I will, I will make him cry. Matter of fact, I'll do a Steph Curry and shoot and just walk away. Because you have that um, Steve Alford All-American form. Deadly. I I just don't have the Steve Alford hairdo. You don't want that. Um, He made a good point, and he he was right, in that Lepreux should have just stayed on the rail. And, you know, he wound up trying to angle out, and, and he came, you know, came running in the stretch, but when you give up that much ground, sometimes you just got to stay on the inside and hope it opens up because otherwise you just can't win the other way. Um, an admission office, I just wish he had, you know, once he'd committed to getting so far behind, he had just stayed on the inside. And he might not have worked out anyways, but he just didn't give himself a chance. I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out why Gray's Creek was getting bet so much. I didn't understand that either. I mean, the horse, listen, like it or not, uh, the sheet numbers performance figures those guys bet a lot of money they have a lot of influence on who's the favorite a lot of times um those horses the the fast ones uh, and there's not a lot of ones that are fast that are hidden fast anymore <laughs> like those kind of days are over but sometimes you'll get a horse like this whose form on on racing form or bristol looks better than it is on on the sheet numbers and that was that was uh, gray's creek to a, a you know to a T and, and he was just slow. I mean, compared Not to, to mention his horses. post, the 12 hole. Well, and that, that's the thing is like, he, he just wasn't very fast. And then, you know, put it the Tampa that you're leaving from a, a dog leg, which almost makes it an extra turn because you're having to go, you're breaking and then you're taking kind of bearing left when you get to the stretch. 
So you're, you're almost being asked to run a, a third turn. So post 12 uh, is, is a really bad post. And the fact that the horse just wasn't that fast to start with, uh, I, I didn't understand why, um, why he was getting so much money. And, and, and because of it, I, I kind of got a little bit, uh, I, I just kind of, I don't know. I, I, you know, you can handicap and, and then second guess yourself forever. Um, but get smoking was a horse that certainly could have been used. He figured to be up close to the pace as he was. He's, he's shown, you know, good, uh, he had shown good form. Um, and he's a horse, you know, turning four. those, those horses are, are the ones that are due to improve, uh, more than the older horses who usually hold their form, especially on the turf. And, and, and you know, Tommy Bush did a good job, uh, uh, he does. He seems like he only wins with Get Stormies, but Get Stormies a pretty damn good sire. Um, and Get Smoking won. I mean, he won fair and square. Um, he, he was kind of holding on at the end, um, but that I think that was a, a perfect lesson. And then, um, like you just just I mean, I didn't use Grace Creek on a ticket. No, I and, threw him, and he finished fifth and. I just wasn't. I would just to to, to even now. I just don't understand why that horse got bet so much. Yeah, I, I didn't get it either. I, I saw his morning line and I was like, really? Okay. And then then they started betting him, and and uh, I just didn't understand it. I, I I knew they were off. I love the eight. Eon. Yeah. And 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 he just couldn't get it done. I mean, he just more or less got uh out positioned by the three. More or less, that that that's really the only difference between the two. Um, he ran a hell of a race. He just couldn't get there. He ran out of ran out of real estate, as they say. Yeah, the the race uh, was <laughs> was was significantly faster. A mile and a sixteenth, uh, in in one forty point seven five, and the uh, the Phillies version, the uh, uh, at a mile and a sixteenth, the Endeavor. Um, uh, albeit slower fractions, uh, they went you know, forty nine to the half. Went one forty three point point one. So uh, it, it was a, a much more reasonably run race, but it was a good betting race. And even though I didn't cash on it, I mean these are the type of races that um, you know that that we we like to see. And and this is the type of uh, of action, and and you know we want to get in. Um, there was a ton of money bet in the race as well. Um, you know, close to $2 million was, was bet. So, you know, that, that just shows again, I mean, it's not, uh, uh, this isn't any groundbreaking information, but if you put a full field of competitive horses in the gate, people are going to bet it. Without a doubt. You set your watch by it. So did you have any other impressions of, uh, of the Tampa Excuse me, the day at Tampa Bay, other than the, the you know, the last race DQ or the, the Davis or the two turf races. Um, I I thought the 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 main track played fair. Um, all day they were they were you know everybody was running and it wasn't like the the inside was wasn't the place to be or anything like that, um, which was good to see. Um, everybody got a fair shot and and a run at it, and that's what you want to see on a big day like that where there's no biases, anything that would stand out in that regard. Um, the track, there was a, 
there's a lot of mask holes, people with uh, chin masks and stuff, and some people just didn't have one, which I kind of su- was surprised because there's like a whole bunch of signs saying, you know, wear a mask, wear a mask, wear a mask. But um, it was interesting. The tellers had the plexiglass in front of them and, you know, it was it was racing in the COVID era, which obviously I wasn't used to. I mean, even at Gulfstream for the Pegasus, it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really that crazy. I mean, um, it was it was rather empty in comparison to what the crowd was like at uh, at Tampa. But it was a good time. The weather cooperated. There was that one sprinkle in the middle day, I think, after the fifth race. And that was it. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, But uh, it was it was a good day. It was Shout out to everybody at Tampa Bay Downs that that uh, put on the show. It was it was worth every penny. Well, it's a good thing that you had a good time, and you know these days. Um... Yeah, I hadn't been out. I mean, honestly, you know, before last year's Pegasus, I went to Pegasus last year, got sick in the middle of the year, and then didn't go anywhere until the Pegasus this year. And then two weeks later to wheel back and, and go to Tampa, it was it was refreshing. It was cool um, to be able to get out. I know my family wanted to get out, so they came with me. Um, so we had a, we had a really good day and uh, had some uh, some seafood to end the day and drove home. I was at home by eleven. There you go. A good day, a Sam Davis. A Sam yeah, Davis. Sam Davis day, and trying to go back for Tampa Bay Derby. Really. Yeah, trying to wheel again, wheel again on, on the sixth. Wheel March it back, 6th. March sixth. Yeah. Yes. You never know. There might be a there be a Chuck a going, Simon sighting going at Circles reunion at the Tampa Bay Derby. That's what I'm talking about. Well, the, the you better better not let the stewards see me. They'll be pissed at me. But <laughs> it's still mad. Honestly, the stewards of Tampa Bay I've had a problem with for my pretty much my entire life. <laughs> They fined me one time for $100 because I told Jose Lescano, who was riding there at the time just after he had lost his bug in New York, and uh, my you know, friend Jason had him. JB. Was getting him, was getting him going, and, and he rode a horse. I, Nick Zito had sent me this horse, and I trained it for um, Joe Cornaccio, who was one of the best guys you're ever going to know. I mean, just a great guy and a, and a laid back guy too. I mean, he was just like, you know, nothing got Joe too upset. And they sent me this horse and it was a decent little horse, three-year-old. And, and, um, Jose was, uh, uh, still, you know, he was still a little bit green and, uh, he, he, <laughs> he was like three to five in the race. And you got to remember, there was a time, like, when I was at Tampa Bay down Stamper, when I was stable there, it was, like, 2005, 2004, 2005. And literally the only trainers there with horses from the big league circuit was was Tom Proctor and I. And, and that was pretty much it. Everybody else was from uh, Thistle Downs or Suffolk Downs or, or uh, back then Indiana was really kind of a, a backwards place. And coming to Indiana people, um, a couple of the real, you know, the, the, the dredgers from Calder, uh, you know, the it, it was just not what it is now where you see maiden races at Tampa Bay that that have um, uh, Chad Brown and 
Todd Pletcher and Bill Mott and Graham Motion and uh, Ian Wilkes and Rusty Arnold and Shug McGahey. I mean, it, it just is, is uh, it just wasn't like that. And anyways, this was a pretty good horse, and uh, Jose just got him like totally stopped, and he just could have served. If he if he went three or four wide, he just would have galloped. And after the race, I was like, Jose, what the f are you doing? You know, and and it, was, it wasn't screaming or yelling or going nuts. And and he and he just kind of like you know he knew he screwed up. And we walked back. By the time we got back to the jocks room, we were we were laughing because he was going to come over to our house uh, and, and play FIFA soccer on, on the PlayStation, you know? <laughs> so we didn't have an issue at all. It was just like, you know, what the F are you doing? Why wouldn't you just go wide? And, you know, oh, I screwed up. I'm sorry. And he didn't speak English very well back then either. And, uh, like, the next day, I get uh, this, the security comes and they hand me a thing. You, you got to go see the stewards. I'm like, for what? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I opened the thing, and, and uh, I guess the clerk of scales had, had turned me in because I, he said I was using abusive language. Oh, so I went to the stewards, and then I was like, you know, the jock has no problem with what I said. It was between him and I. Like, why is anyone else involved in this? And they said, well, you can't be cursing the jocks in front of the public. I said, let me ask you a question. This horse was three to five. You finished off the board. Do you think the public would rather see me upset because we were off the board? Or do you think they want me to go yuck it up with them and slap on the back and say, hey, no big deal. You know, everyone just blew their tickets uh, at three to five. Uh, it's like, like, what do you think would be a better look for the public? Do you think really the public, when you go to a racetrack, they're going to be completely offended if someone happens to curse like once? And, and <laughs> That's like, well, all that I happens in the grandstand. Bro, bro, bro. I said, you said, do you hear what they say? Uh, so you guys are up there in the stand. Do you hear what they say when you guys disqualify somebody? I said, <laughs> I hear an awful lot of cursing down here, you know, and it's like, uh, they, they find me a hundred dollars. And then Jose would, was wanting to pay it. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. And another time, um, my horse was, was trying to gain in the stretch. It was second. And the horse on the lead literally zigzagged like three times in front of him. And we tried to come inside, he came over on us. We tried to go outside, he came over us. We tried to go back inside, he came over on us. Three times. And I claimed foul. Trainer claimed a foul. And you know how often that works. <laughs> and, of course, they, they looked at it for 10 seconds and dismissed it. And I said to him, I said, how do I appeal your decision? And they're like, well, I go, well, the horse obviously you know, broke two rules. Well, what did he do? He didn't break any rules. I said, yes, he broke two rules. And... Um, he said, well, he never made contact. I said, show me in the rule book where the word contact exists. I said, the horse impeded my horse on purpose three different times. I go, the rider on the leader did not maintain a straight course, nor did he attempt to maintain a straight course. When you change whips and, and your horse ducks in and then you change whips and he ducks back out and then you change whips and he ducks back in. Well, you're not trying to keep him straight. You're trying to get in front of the horse. And, they, you know, I said, you're going to you're going to you're going to tell me that because the horse never, quote unquote, made contact. I said, so so my rider should have clipped heels and then you would have taken him down. Or, you know, if he hadn't fall down in the middle of the stretch and, and you know, got killed, uh, you know, and they just didn't want to talk about it. And it, it's just it, it's just another case where they literally were interpreting the rules as they, they made it up as they went along. And of course, when you ask for a rule book, they tell you no. 
That's the that's the truth. When you ask for a rule book, they tell you no. They won't give you one. You know why? Because they don't want other people realizing all the rules that they don't enforce. Or they don't know. <laughs> and it goes to the point of the issue in New York with, with Katie Davis or Katie McGregor, uh, McGregor <laughs> McCarthy <laughs> and, and, and Trevor McCarthy. And that there's this archaic rule that had to be dusted off that, that should have just be ignored until it could be changed. But they didn't do it. And now we have this 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 issue um, <clears throat> where the claim is that the racing office is, you know, encouraging trainers not to use um, Katie because obviously if she's in the race with Trevor, then the horses have to be coupled, which means there's less entries and Aqueduct is struggling at this time of the year as they usually do for entries. So it's bad for business and it's just a mess. And there's, there's the thing is, there's no point for that rule. It's a pointless rule a pointless rule. And if you put regulators in front of me, regulators that don't know anything, and you're saying, well, explain why this rule doesn't make any sense. I would say, if the people who are in charge of watching the races, uh, in charge of investigating, in charge of the integrity of the events, if they cannot prevent a husband and wife from colluding to cheat the public or cheat or fix a race then why would we think that they could do it with anyone else? Right. Why, why does being married suddenly merit you as, as uh, you know, more potential criminals than, than, than not? Uh, it, it just is, it's a stupid rule. It needs to be changed. Well, everybody in racing is intertwined anyway. I mean, well, it, exactly. And that's the thing is I, I put a post on Facebook yesterday. I said, we're, we're a business that, that is like overrun with conflict of interests. <laughs> I mean, you'll see at a stake race in, in Saratoga, Elliot Walden from Windstar Farm would literally have a piece of a horse or a stallion with a horse or a deal with a horse and, you know, whatever. And, that, and that's business is business. But they have they have connections with literally every horse in the race. And um, like these these. People all like you almost never see a horse these days owned by um, you know one 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 guy. Uh, it's always this and this and this and this and this. You know, outside of Godolphin or, or um, you know so, some of the bigger outfits, you know, from overseas. That there's so many conflict of interest because you know this guy and this guy have uh, horses with this guy and they have horses with you know this this trainer and that trainer and then they own. Uh, partners in this and their partners in a a mare and I mean there's just uh, you have brothers riding against each other you have um, boyfriend and girlfriend riding against each other you have um, trainers that that train that are that are uh, involved with with jockeys but they're not quote-unquote married I mean it's just a a, there's there's a ton of conflict of interest there's no doubt about that I always wondered, though, you know, if they weren't married, would they, you know, and they were dating, would it, would it no. be treated the same way? No, no. because that, that right. was the case, and, and it wasn't a problem. Uh, and then Kate and Bradar made the point of, um, in Maryland, apparently they have ridiculous rules there, too. And uh, Brittany Russell, who is a trainer who's a, a, I mean, I think she just started training this year. Um, her husband is Sheldon Russell, the jockey. And I guess he can't ride in races against her horses. 
and I'm, she, she wins like 50%, so I'm not sure why he would want to. But the point being that it's a stupid rule there, too. It's just stupid. It makes no sense. Um, I, I get the, the legal argument will be, well, they've got a bank account. Um, and, and if she wins, oh my technically, God. you know, all, all that. Stuff. I said, well, what about um, if, if uh, I read and Ortiz and, and uh, Jose Ortiz decided to buy a car wash together? You know, like they would have banking, you know, a bank account together as well. Maybe they decided they were going to put all their mounts from uh, every Thursday into this thing. I mean, you, you could come up with 50 million different scenarios in the end. You know, you're either the the rules are being followed, or the rules are not being followed. And I, what I mean by that is the rules on the racetrack. I mean, I don't think that we do, and we've talked about this in the past. I, I think that there's so much more that should be done. I think that every single race, trainers and and jockeys should be called in and and questioned. And I'm not saying this in a manner of like you've done something wrong, but ask a question. Hey why you know your horse showed speed uh last race and today you know showed no speed well, you know was something happened did the saddle slip is there you know what's the issue and just to to gather information and i think the information should be shared and i i think that um we'll never have a system quite as good as hong kong but like why not try to take some derivatives of of what they do there uh, where they have a form steward. And, and in Hong Kong, if you are trying, if you're going to instruct the jockey or the jockey's going to change tactics on a horse that ha- has a given running style, you have to make the form steward aware prior to the race. You cannot say after the race, oh, well, we decided. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, guess what? You're going to jail. Um <laughs> It's, that's a deterrent <laughs> yeah so it, it's it's of course it's you know chinese law is a little different than, than our laws but but the point being that that um that we just need to do more and to me you know you have jockeys sitting in a room for hours on end call them talk to them see what's going on even if they give you a nonsensical answer make them know that you're watching you're paying attention and i think trainers should answer too I mean, I would answer if the steward called me after the race and said, man, your horse didn't show up. And, and I, I might tell him, I have no idea why you ran bad, too. I'm going back to the barn and, you know, call me in the morning or or, or whatever. And then maybe bring him back to the barn and the horse cools out for Or maybe bring him back to the barn and the horse bled. Or maybe uh, the next day the horse got 103 temperature. Or or maybe uh, a million different things can happen. And uh, you know what? You, 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 you book that information and, and you have it. Uh, you have it stored away so that you have a reasoning behind why something happened. So maybe six weeks later, when my horse comes back and he runs, he runs great and he wins. The reasoning will be, uh, you know, it won't be like, oh well, geez, I wonder what they did last time. I bet you know they must have stiffed the horse or they didn't try or was set up or blah blah blah. Well, take away the, um, you know, the unknown and say, you know, the horse after the race spike the temperature therefore it probably might have been a little sick when it ran which is why it didn't run so good last time and if we want to be taken seriously if we want this business to grow if we want people to um to invest in you know, hard-earned money into betting our races 
uh, or, or even honestly, even the claiming game has got to change and open up. Um, it, it can't be buyer beware like it used to be. It is in some ways, but we, we can't just pretend like um, it's a it's a hand of cards and we can just fold or we can you know go all in. It, it, it's not. It's, it's a living, breathing thing, and uh, you know there has to be done as, as much done as possible to protect those horses. And I think part of that is information and knowing why something happened. And sometimes, you know what? Nothing will come up. Nothing. You won't know why a horse didn't run any good. Uh, sometimes you'll have a horse run, run better than expected. And you don't know why they, they ran better than expected either. It happens both ways. And it's not as though every single thing it happens with a racehorse is easily explained. A lot of times trainers, you'll, you'll hear them explain it, but sometimes you're just making stuff up. Sometimes you're just guessing like everybody else. <laughs> well, maybe he liked the wet track. Well, maybe. But, you know, he, he ran on a wet track four other times. He didn't run a good hole. So, like, why did he like today's wet track instead of the other day's wet track? I, I, to me, I like it's what just they an do. effort thing. I like what they do down in Australia where they, they get the jockeys as soon as they get off the, you know, the, the scale. And they'll have them just give a couple of sentences on what went went on out there. Uh, you know, it it should I I think it should be mandatory it, at least in the big races and be like, hey, my horse just didn't take to the track today. We'll get him next time, or you know, something like that. Um, it, it would be good to hear that, especially from a rider's perspective. Um, you know what he said or what she said. Getting off the horse is probably the the most honest answer you probably hear. I mean, they may be wrong, but at least you get an idea of what, what was, what the thought process is in the moment. Right. Right. In the moment. Exactly. So it, it, it's not a bad thing. I, I wish they would do more. I, I know they did it. I think it was for the, I think it was for the Derby. I think TVG did it. Um, but I haven't seen it since, but I, I wish they would, they would try to do some more of that. I know they can't do it every race, but at least for the big ones. Right. No, I, I, I hear you, man. That's, you know, it's like, it's like the Stronach group started weighing horses. Right. And yeah. honestly, I, I, I know a lot of people kind of like didn't agree with it or didn't care about it or whatever, but to me it was, it was, it was useful information and they've stopped doing it. And, and I don't understand why they stopped. I guess, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, they still have the scales there, but, to me, it was, it was something that, that could have, it was easily uh, attained. It wasn't like it, it took a big effort to try to get the the weights for the horses. When they walked into the paddock, they walked on the scale and they they recorded it and they put it on the screen and then it was put in the program. So it, it's it was very easy to collect the information, um, and I, I think it had some value. But um, but now they're not doing it anymore. And I mean, I don't I don't know why COVID would preclude someone from standing on a scale. But it happens, uh, man, that's the super spreader, those scales. I, I, I know one thing. I haven't stepped on a scale since COVID, so I'm, I'm a little bit afraid. <laughs> I might weigh as much as one of those horses. Yeah, well, it, I think it's uh, Remington. They do it. Yeah, it's it's not like the end of the world if they don't. But to me, it's an easy thing to do. And, and I did see some value in it. And it was a couple times when I, I saw horses that um, – you would probably think it, it would go either way. That's, there, there's some cases where a horse gaining weight would be a good thing. And then other cases where maybe a horse off of a layoff uh, came in a little heavy, 
because the trainer didn't train him quite as hard um, as they normally would or, or for whatever reason. And maybe the horse was a little short. It was interesting yesterday. Basically. I, I, I guess they still do weigh them at Santa Anita because we got information yesterday that uh, that the world's greatest horse, who wasn't, um, Bezos weighed like 1,324 pounds, which is an enormous, that's an enormous three-year-old horse. I mean, that is gigantic because three-year-olds are not fully grown, uh, especially this early in the year. Right, it's like, what is he going to be, 1,500 pounds? <laughs> like, literally, like, that is like about as big. Uh, when I ran in Hong Kong, um, speaking of Hong Kong, uh, I ran against a horse named Silent Witness. Now, you can oh, probably boy. say, you know, like, I'm... How, how smart is this guy? He, he flew halfway w- around the world to run against a horse who'd won like 17 in a row. Um, but Silent Witness was a big horse, man. He was big. He was like, he was imposing. I was like, man, once I saw him, I was like, shit. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is going to suck. That happened to me one other time. It happened to me. Um, I was in the paddock. We had a horse. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the horse. Um, but he was a nice horse. He was trained really good, and it was an allowance race. I think it was a maybe a two other than allowance race uh, on the dirt going like seven A's at Churchill Downs. And I remember uh, Steve Penrod had a horse in the race, and the horse was late to the paddock. And I was feeling real good about my horse, and I put the saddle on, and we are standing there, and they were all kind of fretting because Penrod's horse was acting up, I guess, and um, we're having a hard time getting him to the paddock. Uh, and then once he walked in, it was one of those. Um, like, We're screwed. <laughs> like, look at that horse, man! It, and um, it turned out the horse was uh, was flatter. The horse who wound up being a pretty good sire, flatter, man. He he, he crushed us. <laughs> <laughs> he was. It wasn't even a fair fight, man. He, he was a really good horse. He he just couldn't stay sound. Uh, he was a big, good-looking horse, though. Like, like one of those. Uh, uh, games where you know you're standing there in the sidelines, you're shooting layups, and then the other team comes out and they look like the <laughs> they, they look like the Lakers, the Monstars from yeah, uh, right. Space Jam. Yeah, that, I had that feeling, man. It was twice in my life I had that feeling, like, oh man, <laughs> this is a mistake. And Silent Wins, he was he was 1380 pounds, and I mean he was just oh, enormous. Man. And, and they had little starting gates in Hong Kong. They have these small starting gates. They're really narrow. And they don't have guys go in them except in, in, in different, you know, I guess in, in rare cases. Uh, and honestly, there doesn't really seem to be enough room in there anyways. I don't even know if they have ledges. Um, but, um, you know, I, I had battle one when he came out of there. He kind of rattled out of there. He didn't, like, snap out of there. Because, number one, he's used to having a man in there with him. And... Um, he was in the middle of the of, of the gate, and, and it was a straightaway race, and he had never run a straightaway. He would always run on a turn, and he tried to make the, you know, Kieran Fallon wrote him. He said the entire race he was trying to run to the in, to the fence. He was trying to run to the inside because, of, you know, he's used to doing that. But uh, the Silent Witness was a giant horse. I remember they announced he was 1,380 pounds. I was 1,380 pounds. <laughs> <sighs> he had a I would, I would, I would almost guarantee you, Bezos will be, will be lighter this next race. Yeah, I would think so. You would, I would be surprised because you know it's pretty hard to get much bigger than that. But um, but anyway, we kind of uh, we skipped over the Withers, which, um, which I, again, I was, uh, I was, 
I was not on the winner. I thought he was over bet. Um, he was. He was definitely you know, over bet. <laughs> coming off of win. Uh, I actually did the HRN show uh, race day with Bobby Newman the day he broke his maiden. It was one of the races that uh, that we handicapped, risk-taking, came out of. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty solid maiden race. It was some pretty good horses in there. Um, and he, and he, he looks like a, a classic distance-type horse. Um, you know, Medallia Dioro, I've distorted humor Mary. He's got enough speed in the pedigree where he doesn't get too far behind. But um, Eric Cancel did a good job riding him. He, he kind of kept him within uh, shouting distance um the like the, the, we've talked about it before too is the track at aqueduct is is not um it's not that 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 uh tight and, and uh you know the fractions seem reasonable but i i guess they were they were relatively reasonable um but risk taking uh you know ran down capo kane who who you know who, who ran a, a credible ran race yeah he ran good and I guess the plan that with them is they're going to cut him back to the Gotham, which is going back to a, from the mile and an eighth back to a one turn mile. Um, and I'm uh, you know, uh, we'll give them some free advice. They can take it or not, but uh, I would keep Capo Kane at those one turn miles um, because I, I don't think that he's going to be good enough to be top horses going a mile and an eighth. I certainly don't think a mile and a quarter is going to be his distance, but he's got enough speed um, and, and probably enough quality to be a factor in races like the Pat Day Mile. And um, I mean, to me, I, I would circle the Woody Stevens on Belmont Day for for him. Uh, try to win a Grade One that manner, maybe further along down the line, the Alan Jerkins at Saratoga at seven eights as well. Or, or even get crazy. I mean, listen, the older horses of this, this country this year stink. And um, you know, a lot of the best ones are going to be running in Dubai and in Saudi Arabia. And, and why not take a shot in the Met Mile? Um, I know it's on Belmont Day. And I know that they also run, you know, like I said, the Woody Stevens was a grade one for three-year-olds going seven ace, which would certainly be an easier spot. But um, a three-year-old would get in extremely light. Um, I don't know what Dylan Davis could do. I don't know who, which of the jockeys in the big leagues. Uh, I mean, certainly you're running in the Met Mile. You're you're going to want the best jockey you can possibly get. No, no offense, to Dylan Davis, but uh, I don't know who can do like less than one twelve. But um, he would be a dangerous horse in that kind of race. And uh, I kind of talked about that in the digest last week, talking about. Um, the horse that won the swale um, who's been pretty dominant in uh, down here in, in South Florida um, talking about um, the, the, the Safi Joseph horse. Uh, oh, uh, court. Some, uh, I know what you're talking about. Jeez. The name escapes me. <laughs> We're like grundering in that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that horse, that guy, <laughs> But uh, I mean, that horse is is, is pretty is pretty quick, um, and you know it's it's a shame because the Met Mile drain has the clock, won. right? Drain the clock. There yes. we go. Uh, the Met Mile has been won by three year olds: Dixie Brass, Holy Bull. Um, you know, there's been quite a few three year olds that have won the race because they get a significant weight break. Um, the weight is kind of a not. 
you know, handicaps we have these days are, are barely handicaps, and it's it's just not part of the game anymore, unfortunately. Um, but um, I mean, you look at, at the older horse division, and I mean, the sprint division last year was 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 pathetically bad. I mean, Asmussen had a couple nice sprinters, but none of them could stay sound long enough. Um, I don't believe anybody's going from the U.S. is going to Saudi Arabia for their big sprint race. So, which is a you know, uh, which is unusual because yeah, usually strange. with international dirt races, the the U.S. horses dominate. That's the what sprints. we do. That's what we do. So, I, I don't even think there's a single horse that's that's going over there. So, um, I, I don't know what the status of uh, Asmussen seemed to have most of the of, of the top sprinters. Uh, Frank's Rockette came back, of course, uh, and 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 beat the Phillies the other day in the mud at Oaklawn, but. Um, you know the sprinters this year are not are not particularly strong, and all the Met Mile always would get a uh, a couple of the seven eight horses stretching out. I mean, it was why it was an interesting race was because you would get the sprinters trying to stretch their speed to a mile, and you would get the other uh, you know the the handicappers kind of cutting back to a mile. You know which is why it's it's uh, you know been one of the the top races that we run in this country that that's not a triple crown or a Breeders Cup race, but uh. Yeah, I would like to see that. I don't know that that's going to happen, but uh, you know, twenty twenty one, anything can happen. We one can hope, right? I mean, if Derek Rose can get traded back to the Knicks, then oh, then anything can happen. If my man, if my man Noah gets signed by the Nets, anything is possible. Noah Vonley is a net man. It's a good thing for Noah. Getting a paycheck, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. He'll be around. I mean, he can catch and make layups, play a little defense. Yes. He'll, he'll, he'll stick around. He's almost seven feet tall, so that helps. He, he will not be the focus of other teams' defense. That's, that is correct. <laughs> uh, anyways, go back to the Withers. Risk-taking, I mean, he, he looks like a, a, a nice horse um, that's developing. Uh, I don't know, you know, again, I, I think that uh, – uh, the two, the the couple of horses that shipped up from Maryland, um, uh, Shaq Queen King, who I took a little try with, and and um, Royal Number didn't really show much. Uh, Eagle Orb needs to take the blinkers off. Rudy, take the blinkers off if you're going to keep running that horse less a distance because he's just wanting to run off a little bit too much. Um, uh, the, the, we talked about Donegal Bay, the, the Pletcher horse that, that shipped up from uh, off the maiden win that kind of chased and, and really just backed up. Um, you know, so we talked about Capo Kane. We talked about over overtook. I mean, really, you know, there, there's it's hard to really get a, a good feel outside of maybe the first two because I really don't think Capo Kane is going to be a mile and a quarter horse. Um but the, I think, like I said, I think he's going to be a nice horse. I just don't think he's a derby-type horse. Um, and the other two, uh, I mean, again, they're, um, you know, they're, they're lightly raced horses, and I'm guessing that uh, they'll be coming back in the wood. Yeah, that's what I, I figured, you know. Um, I don't know. It, it, was, it, it seemed a little bit stronger race than I thought it was going to be. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if – a lot of those guys get another shot at it, but I agree. Capo Kane needs to needs to cut back. Uh, everybody else is, you know, getting beat double digits in that race. 
even Civil War, who I insulted and said he should be running at Penn National near where they near where the Gettysburg Address <laughs> was, was was spoken. To, uh, and Mr. Dota, who uh, a person who gets paid to make uh, picks for a living, selected finished last uh, sixty six to one, got beat uh, sixty eight links at sixty six to one. So Ouch. apparently that form did not hold up. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it did not. Um, now, this doesn't qualify as an actual derby prep, but uh, at Santa Anita on Saturday, they had the San Vicente, which <laughs> kind of seemed like a Bob Baffert workout kind of race, um, which it more or less turned into um, with Contra Tour who was a, a prohibitive favorite, uh, grinding a win out. I would guess that would be the best way to describe it. I mean, um, he, he, he overtook Freedom Fighter, who was also uh, a Bob Baffert horse who hadn't run since August, um, who, who you know, was the early pace setter. Uh, and, it, and it's still it's tough for me to look at um, – when I look at the charts at Santa Anita, it's just the, the times. And I, I know raw times are just raw times. But, you know, when you see a race like this and, and the fractions are are 23 and, and 1. And, uh, I mean, they did go 45 and 4 to the half. But then um, they came home really slow. And, uh, you know, 7 eighths and 124. You look at the track record. It was twirling candy set it uh, a decade ago. In the Malibu, uh, one nineteen and three. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you literally went went five seconds faster, and uh, yeah, I mean that's an exceptionally fast time. And twirling candies actually turned into a really nice sire, but um, it just is still kind of hard to like wrap your wrap your arms around it. But uh, I thought concert tour concert tour ran well. Uh, I mean, he's a street sense. Um, so, you know, the distance pedigree should be there. Um, it, it wasn't like it was a dominating win. It wasn't overly impressive. I, I'm not really sure how good Freedom Fighter is. Uh, everybody else was was essentially maiden breakers. So um, a couple of them had just run, uh, found my ball, um, <laughs> finished fourth. For Doug O'Neill, I mean, he just won uh, or just ran on January 22nd, so he, he was back uh, a couple of weeks. Uncle Boogie, who was who was last, who uh, who never really made much of an impression in the race, he he had run on January 27th. So um, even Concert Tour had run uh, three weeks ago on January 15th. So I, I don't know, you know, I don't know that. Uh, it says a whole lot about Contra Tour other than he's got some grit to him and this race looked like, um, you know, the Baffert had said coming out of the race that they were trying to, you know, teach him to rate a little bit, which, which he certainly did. Um, but, uh, I mean, what are your impressions of it? It's hard to, like you said, it's hard to, to figure it out because, you know, it was, it was like a, a Baffert workout in the middle of the day. Um, I mean, that being said, the, the surface out there is rumored to be very, very deep. So I'm interested to see when these horses get away from Santa Anita, how 
how they kind of run. My instinct is saying they're going to run better. Um, right. You know, and I, and I like what he did with Concert Tour, bringing them back and teaching them how to rate. I think that's going to help them uh, going forward. It just didn't look impressive. And that's why people are kind of poo-pooing the effort. But I, I think it was a really good race for him, despite what it looked like visually, especially with, with um, Freedom Fighter coming back and, and kind of making a little bit of a race of it. Um, I think it's it's definitely something to build on. He, he's got room to improve there. So I, I expect that's going to be the money horse. Yeah, he's uh, he's got a, lot, a decision. I wouldn't be surprised to see that horse um, wind up at Oaklawn. I know people have, have compared him to Nadal, who who also went to Oaklawn and got in some trouble there. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, Baffert's gonna have his life in good. He, he's got Medina spirit, so he's gonna have to split him up. And, and Oaklawn seems to be his. His uh, his favorite destination outside of, of staying home, so I wouldn't be surprised if Concert Tour wound up uh, on that uh, that Oaklawn Park Derby Trail. I'm with it. I want to see it. Let's make it happen. Um, there was a, a Kentucky Oaks prep at Santa Anita. Uh, this was a five horse field. The, the Las Virgines was a Grade Three. Um, favorite uh, Calypso and, and, and Moonlight Dioro, who was the eventual winner, kind of uh, went head and head there for, for favoritism. Um, but Calypso w- went to the lead, had pretty decent fractions, and, and just didn't have enough to uh, to hold off Moonlight Dioro for for Richard Mandela and uh, Spencer Farms and the 474,000 owners of my horse, MyRaceHorse.com. Um, so, you know, she seemed like a, seemed like a solid race. Uh, and what, what did you think of, what was your impression of, uh, Moonlight Dioro? Yeah, same thing. I, I think it was just a, a, a workmanlike effort. <laughs> it's hard to, to gather what kind of horse that it will be. I mean, and, and another thing that I neglected to mention before is the whip rule kind of comes into play. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, these horses aren't under the same kind of pressure in the stretch <laughs> as they are in other places. So, I mean, I- I'm just interested to see what they do when they get away from Santa Anita. Yeah, I think the the track being as deep as it is, is something that, that's kind of an X factor in that um, you don't know. I mean, certainly you would think that, uh, I mean, this is kind of projecting a long ways away from, from now, but... Like uh, on Oaks Day, the track at Churchill is not going to be like the track is <laughs> at Santa Anita. At least you, you wouldn't believe it would be, I mean, based upon prior years. So, um, I mean, I guess the, the rule of thumb would be more to think that a horse that can handle a deep track can handle a fast track. But sometimes horses that, that, that prefer a fast track really can't handle a deep track. I, I think um, uh, a perfect example of that was, was our friend uh, that, that shipped King Guillermo that just literally like was running in sludge. It seemed like and just you know kind of pulled up a, a couple of weeks back when, when he, he tried to, to ship out there and, and run, um, run down, you know, anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
they ran a couple races at uh, Santa Anita on Saturday on the turf. The um, the San Marcos, which is a grade two with a mile and a quarter, um, starts starts on the downhill. Oh <laughs> man, that hurts my feelings when that happens when they started on the. On the uh, it was it was won by by Master of Foxhounds, um, who kind been of around. That's a, yeah, he's been around. He, a, he, he he stalked the pace setting acclimate, um, and and just kind of you know ran by him. And Rosario kind of did, did, did. He wasn't you know seemed like he had had a little bit left uh, in the tank. Um. Starting over was third. Uh, I, I, I don't know that this was a very good field. No. I guess putting it. I, that's, that's what my thoughts were exactly. I was like, I don't, I don't know. It seems like um, a suspect field. And, a, and, and I mean, it really, you know, the, the, the winner and the, the, the runner up ran one, two um, all the way around there. And the fractions were, were, were very slow for the Santa Anita turf. And you know, half of 49 and change, three quarters of 14, mile 38. Uh, and then they just flew home. They came home twenty-two and four, uh, the last quarter. But they, they just hadn't done much running, and the horses they were chasing them just just you know, literally would have had to come home at twenty-one and change to to uh, to pass them. So uh, I, I don't you know I, it just pains me to see so many of these races with short fields, and and I get California has on island, and um, it, to be honest, I just think right now there, there's probably too many stake races. There's more stake races than than there's good horses. Seems um, like it because I mean the fields are just small and bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Thunder Road, which was later in the day, was is a ungraded stake. Or no, I guess it's a Grade Three now. G three. Um, yeah, it uh, it was won by a horse named Hit the Road, who uh, he's a more than ready. He's out of a U.S. Ranger mare. He he's a four year old and. He hadn't run since July um, for Dan Blacker, he, and he, he came back, uh, and, and I thought he was he was really impressive. Um, he, he kind of just blew the field away, uh, was striding out at the end, uh, ran ran a you know ran an excellent time, um, you know beat probably the best milers out in the West Coast right now. Which again, you know, none of these horses are going to make you forget Lure. But um, he, he beat them. He beat them the way you want to see them beaten. And as a four-year-old, he hadn't really run huge numbers. But again, he hadn't run since he was a three-year-old in July. So, you know, you're looking at older horse uh, graded stakes. You know, you can't expect a horse that, that hadn't run, you know, since six months ago. Um, as a three-year-old, is going to be running the same numbers as older horses will be running, and. Uh, but so it, it really looked like hit the road, and that, that's you know that me that's one of my plays is, is lightly raced four year olds early in the year are, are eligible to improve more than older horses who have already established what their you know what, what their timeline is. Um, but I, I thought he ran really well, hit the road, um, and he, he might be a, a, a decent type uh, horse in some of these mile races. You know, heading future, uh, you know, heading in the in the, in the um, into the the rest of the year, especially with a a pretty, I mean, 
how many times we got to talk about it. <laughs> Channel Maker was champion older turf horse. Come on. I mean, like, and I believe Channel Maker is actually in Saudi Arabia going to run over there. Um, and there's a turf race uh, on Saudi Cup Day. I bet but, um, he's double digit odds. <laughs> well, I don't know if they have official odds in Saudi Arabia because I don't know if they have betting, but wherever there's betting, I, I wouldn't uh, put it this way. If I wind up betting on that event, I will not be betting on Channel Maker. <laughs> Unless he's a hundred to one or something. But uh but Hit the Road looks like a nice yes. horse. He's a, looks like a good prospect that might wind up um, you know, improving. And that's kind of what we, we saw in the Pegasus turf. Uh, four-year-olds that are improving, uh, you know, Liam, the Liam's map cult that, that's uh, just kind of starting to come into his own and hopefully, you know, turns the corner, continues to improve and becomes a, a really good, you know, solid horse. And, and it'll be interesting to me um, going forward, seeing what kind of uh, horses come from Europe because without, Lasix in a lot of these graded stake races, some of them European horses come here because we have Lasix. Yeah, that's a cool. lot of the horses you, you see. I mean, Chris Clement basically has carved out a, a Hall of Fame level career. If you just took horses he got from Europe that needed Lasix, he would have had a hell of a career. Um, a lot of the ones that Chad Browns get, a lot of the ones that, that Bill Mott get, these are horses that are coming here. Because we had Lasix. And I don't know what the effect will be as if a horse is a bleeder over there. If they're going to look over here and say, well, hell, we can't use Lasix. So, you know, maybe we're not going to send them over. I I don't know. Uh, Maybe things won't change at all. But you'd have to think that if you were a European owner and you had a horse that needed Lasix or that, that bled, that without Lasix being uh, being used in stake races here, that maybe they would, uh, you know, maybe they would not send them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to play into it, I would think, only because, like you said, they, you know, firm ground and Lasix. <laughs> those are the two things. Uh, without one of those, they might not be apt to send it. So we'll see. I, I think hit the road has another move up in him. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what, what happens because I, I honestly uh, think that he might be a little bit better than Colonel Liam. Yeah. I mean, Colonel Liam looked good. Um, but again, it's Colonel. It was his first start against older horses as, as it was at the roads first start against older horses. And, um, you know, the one thing Colonel Liam did was overcome a little bit of a, a you know, a bigger field. Again, the race at the Thunder Road was a six-horse field, so it's not like uh, he didn't really have a tough trip. But, but by the same token, you know, like I'm, I'm also the guy that preaches, hey, we can't automatically downgrade every horse who gets a good trip because good horses that get good trips often continue to get good trips because of their style. And you know, you keep trying to beat them because they got a good trip. <clears throat> well, sometimes they're going to keep getting a good trip. <laughs> you know. So you say, well, the horse got an easy lead, but then they come back in the next race, and the horse looks like going to get an easy lead again. Well, yeah, you know, it's it's That's sometimes the story of maximum security. Is yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Maximum security. Uh, 
Maximum security. Well, now he's at stud, and he's minimum still, security. He's, he's he's still he's still under lockdown now. Now we have controversy about about him and the world of trouble. And uh, in the end, most stallions fail. If I said every stallion's going to fail, I would be right ninety percent of the time. But the fact is that it doesn't matter what I give a horse or what you give a horse, or what anyone gives a horse. The genetic capabilities of a horse are the genetic capabilities of a horse. Race record only gives those horses the opportunity to show if their genetic product is is worth having. It doesn't make them better horses or not good horses. Once you are at stud, what you did as a racehorse no longer matters other than getting the opportunity to get good mares. Yeah, you have to say that louder for the people in the back because that you know that, that doesn't get talked about enough in my opinion because like you said having the opportunity is is that's what gets you there i mean look at cigar the cigar was great on the track sterile yeah his, <laughs> i mean his it, puppy his puppies didn't swim no but i mean think of take a horse like skip boy skip boy was not a well-bred horse he wasn't the greatest made horse so he doesn't if you took away his race record he would have stood in texas for 300 bucks and and he did not turn out to be a good sire Affirmed. because his pedigree his pedigree wasn't great, um, and and uh, the fact is this: is if you took the same book of mares and you gave to this horse who had a great race record and this horse who didn't have a great race record, the genetic capability of the horse is almost it uh, because a horse won the Pacific Classic and this horse finished ninth in the Pacific Classic. It doesn't mean that the horse that finished ninth isn't going to be a better sire. Into mischief was not secretariat. Not even close. And he, and, and the, I mean, Tappet, the same thing. Tappet was a nice horse. Intimischief was a nice horse. They were nice horses, but they weren't these overwhelming go to stud uh, for big money and, and, and get grade one and grade two and grade three type mares the first couple of years. These were horses that were breeding secondary and that's, you know, the, not, not just the second tier, some of the third tiers uh, mares. And they did great because of their genetic uh, you know, capability. And it's the one X factor in this business that no one's been able to quite figure out uh, how to really um, determine if a horse is going to be a good stallion or not. Because if, if that was possible, then the richest guys would, would just have all the best stallions. And it's not it's just not true. It, it doesn't it doesn't happen that way. And stallions kind of come from a lot of different places. Look at Cantheros. Right, <laughs> he was bred to some. He was bred to some mares who were so bad that you. you I remember the, being at the OBS sale, looking at some of the mares he was bred to, and this is when they were just kind of starting to come on the map and have a lot of winners. And there would be mares that literally had no black type in the first four dams. And your first thought was, why in the hell is anyone breeding this mare ever? Like, <laughs> w- what is the point? You know. Uh, and why was anyone breeded to her mother? And why would anyone breed to her mother? But the second thing was, wow, this horse is getting winners with these type of mares, and and that's the thing is, uh, it's not it's an inexact science. And world of trouble, he's a turf sprinter, and it doesn't matter what he was given that made him run. It doesn't matter once you're at stud. It doesn't matter. It's not going to be a a good style or bad style because of something that he received. It's just the way it is. There's no determined. It's, it's almost impossible to determine who's going to be a good style. Look at authentic. 
right? There's no reason Authentic's not going to be a really good stallion. He's by a great stallion, right? He's got a good pedigree. He's, he's a beautiful horse. He's got speed. He could, he's, he could carry his speed. Um, he'd be a great horse. Like in the old days, they'd have brought him back and, and maybe pointed him to the Met Mile, you know, like to prove he could win at that distance. He can win in a mile and a quarter. But, uh, you know, we live in an era where it doesn't happen. Being, being beating older horses and carrying weight doesn't matter anymore. So, so he's gone, but that doesn't mean he's going to be a great stallion. It just doesn't mean he's going to be a good stallion. You know, there's so many cases of horses that, that had great pedigree. Um, like you put, put seeking in the gold and Ali Sheba on the racetrack and Ali Sheba was a better horse. And in the in the stud barn, it was a, 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 a it was like the Washington General. Alishiba <laughs> was the Washington Generals <laughs> to seeking the colds of Globetrotters. You know, yeah. it's it's just that part of it, and it's an unknown. And it's a great thing; it's an unknown because if it wasn't an unknown, again, if if you were able to corner the market um, and breeding stock, I mean, Ken Ramsey has won Eclipse Awards as champion breeder, and I I claimed horses for him that like I mean they, they looked like like ponies or they were crooked or they just you know were were they were not what you would think of as as uh you know top breeding stock but he made he made he certainly made kittens joy with those type of mares and he had a formula that the horse had to have a little bit of pedigree somewhere some way shape some you know way shape or form. And they had to generally show speed. If they didn't have any speed, he, he usually didn't want them. And he was he, he won the Eclipse Award for being champion breeder. And yes, he had a lot of horses and he was a bulk breeder. He he wasn't the you know, he was breeding he was breeding them horses as much as they could breed. <laughs> but but he wasn't going out and buying million dollar mares. He wasn't going out and buying hundred thousand dollar mares for the most part. I mean, he did get, you know, he did improve his broodmare band somewhat, but, but he built those horses careers on cheap mares with speed. And it, it just, it, there's, there's a lot of different ways of doing things, but, but it worked because when, and like I said, he put a ton of money in it because he had tons of horses, but, um, but breeding is, is, is a different, uh, breeding and racing are, are connected, but, um, you know, the, the link between uh, race performance and stallion performance, it, it gets really fuzzy. Like you said, look at the top stallions and then look at their race records. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how that works. I mean, like you said, you look at it on paper and it's like, wow. Who would have thought that this horse would turn out so many winners? Like Indomishev is a, is a great example. Yeah, I mean, he really is. And, yes, there, there's some horses like Curlin. Yeah, Curlin was a really good horse. <clears throat> really well-bred. <laughs> Curlin had got down to, like, I think he was, like, standing for 20,000, 25,000 this third year. And he, he, they weren't real precocious. And there was doubts that Curlin was going to be a good stallion. People kind of started, you know, whispering, you know, they're all slow. They're all plotters. They all want to go a mile and a half. And then all of a sudden, they start winning. You know, they turn four, which is really what, when they get to, to be at their best. And they started winning and winning and winning. And all of a sudden, well, you know, bang, everybody loved curling again. But uh, but it, it doesn't always work that way. And 
Uh, I mean, Mr. Prospect, it was a, a pretty decent sprinter, you know, pretty good horse. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I would guarantee you that uh, in the early 70s, if someone told you uh, that you could pick uh, one of two stallions that would, to be the most influential stallion in the next 50 years, you could pick Secretary, you could pick Mr. Prospector. Nobody's picking Mr. Prospect. Literally nobody. And, and that's how it wound up. And, and the funny thing about Secretariat is the Secretariat wound up being a great broodmare sire. A really, really top broodmare sire. One of the best broodmare sires that we ever had. And he just didn't get a lot of good colts. And uh, why, why is that? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I don't know that the, the geneticists have really even figured that out at this point. Um, but it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great unknown. And, and it's a good thing that, that, uh, we have, we, we have that. And, uh, we, we talked about that with Stuart Morris last, uh, last Tuesday. I'm going to circles live. Uh, he, Stuart talked a lot about the styling business and, you know, a lot of the misconceptions and, um, about uh, what's going on there. And, you know, there's a there's a big um, there's a big controversy brewing in the, the jockey club who is the registrar of the horses of all you know thoroughbreds has decided to put a rule in that's going to limit uh, each stallion to I believe 140 mares and it doesn't affect that many horses but it does affect top horses. Um, so there's there's gonna probably be some lawsuits because you know right. there's always capping the earnings there. <laughs> there's, there's, always, there's always lawsuits, but uh, salary cap. But um, I I understand why they do it. Uh, I mean I don't I, I'm not listen. Um, I I think like most things, there's positives and negatives to, to most you know decisions that are made in just about any endeavor. But uh, I I see the point of the jockey club and. I also see the point of the stallion owner and uh, how it works out. Uh, eventually everyone will adapt, but um, you know, we also, when we were, we, when we were kids, stallions were bred to 40 mares, 50 mares. That was it. I mean, there was no, there was no, stu- there was no shuttle stallions. There was no 200, 220 mare books. So uh, it, it'll be, uh, it'll play out eventually. And, I mean, I think it'll be interesting, but uh, I don't think that from a racing standpoint, it's going to really have a whole lot of impact, um, at least, uh, you know, in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like you said, it's going to help the smaller type stallions because they're going to end up getting the, you know, the leftovers, as they say. Yeah, it, it does kind of maybe um, share the wealth a little bit. And maybe if you can't get to Curlin, you, you want to go to Curlin's, uh, the best son of Curlin. And maybe, you know, you'll see some sort of trickle-down effect that, that may or may not help. Uh, but it, it's kind of, you know. Just got to wait again, and see how it works out. <laughs> yeah, right. It, it, it's kind of a. We were talking last week, you know, kind of a champagne kind of issue, you know, like <laughs> because they're there's not a whole lot of uh, first world problems. There's not a whole a lot of stallions that, that really are going to be 
you know, bred to more than 140 mares. And, and of those stallions, they're, they're rarely owned by people or operations that you're going to have a, that are going to elicit a whole lot of sympathy <laughs> from us, uh, from, you know, from the normal people. But, uh, but, um, you know, so what about the Super Bowl? What about your man? Tom Brady. That's, that's all you need to say. I mean, he, he just, he solidified himself. I mean, everybody thought he was the greatest, but it's hard to dispute when he leaves his bad team to go to another bad team and win the Super Bowl with Gronkowski and A.B. <laughs> it, was, it was a sight to see. I, I was just surprised that it just seemed like Kansas City came out flat and just never played. Kansas City put two offensive tackles out there. That's it. If they put two guys, it was literally like they put you and me out there and said, all right, block those giant guys that are really fast. <laughs> because it, it, they just seemed like they, they were – as a Miami Dolphin fan, I'm used to – I've had two decades, two decades of, of linemen like that. And that's what it looked like. They just had no chance against those guys. And and they just – they don't have we, – we had a, a bit of a Twitter debate, all us non-football coach people <laughs> talking about, about adjustments, you know, like we actually know what the hell we're talking about. And, you know, my point was that I kept making was I think – I'm sure that, that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy were watching the same game we were watching. They, they saw what we saw, but I think Andy Reid has always been a – he's going to dance with the, the girl he brung, you know, and he's not going to make a lot of changes and they're not going to start running the ball because that's just not what they do. And they've been wildly successful over the last few years. And I just think that they overestimated the ability of their offensive line to deal with Tampa's front line. And, um, you know, they just kind of got dominated. And I mean, so, uh, honestly, who, who, who could stop Sue? I mean, I mean, he's been like this for years. Oh, not not when you have second stringers. That's right. the thing. You had set, you had two second string guys, and you had another guy who's playing out of position. And you know, once you're this deep in the playoffs, there's no more adding guys. <laughs> no, you're stuck. So, you, you know, you can't call up a team and make a trade, or you know, it just this is what you have. And uh, and and I mean, they made a lot of stupid penalties. Uh, I mean, Andy Reid kind of really arrogantly called timeouts at the end of the first half thinking that they would stop them and get the ball back. And then all he did was help uh, Brady. Yeah. The, the, the timeout on third down when, you know, it was a third and two. I mean, Tom Brady, uh, you know, Gronkowski, I mean, they have an offense that a third and two um, is not, shouldn't be a real difficult task, you know? So they just gave them that extra opportunity. And that, that just really kind of took the sail out of the wind out of their sails and, and then, then we had an hour break. And then we had jock guys with jock straps on their heads running around. Well, Rich Eisen, Rich Eisen made a really good point where he was saying how, you know, uh, Kansas City had a really good opportunity to do what the Patriots were very good at, which would be scoring at the end of the half and then scoring again at the beginning of the half. And they had an opportunity to do that, and they didn't. 
they didn't execute and they couldn't do it. And it ended up working out where Brady ended up scoring at the at the end of the half. And that kind of almost sealed their fate because I think Kansas City came back and got another field goal, and that was it pretty did. much it, it. It did. And I think, you know what, in the first half, when they couldn't punch right. it that, in, that was that was that was when it. When they would drive, they had a couple nice drives, and then they stole. Yeah, they needed touchdowns, and you know they they could they weren't getting touchdowns, and like when you're you know it's it's just math in the end. It's if 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 you're, if you're getting three and they're getting seven, <laughs> you know, you're gonna get a you're gonna need a lot of threes. And you're gonna have to stop them getting sevens, otherwise it, it's just math and. Uh, you know, it just uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, I for a team that really basically lost one game, uh, and Tampa struggled early. Yeah. I mean, they didn't they didn't look that great back in November, October ish. So, I happened to watch the second half of the Tampa Kansas City game they played early in Tampa the season. Tampa played them, even though they lost. Um, and uh, it was some crazy numbers. But by the time I turned the game on, Tampa was making a big comeback. And I mean, they were pretty, they seemed like they were pretty evenly matched. But I mean, uh, you know, Vegas didn't have the line right either. I mean, they had Kansas City as, as three point, three and a half point favorites. Um, and, you know, I, I guess they kind of overestimated Kansas City's ability to block those guys because they just literally could not block them. And the fact that Mahomes is an incredible athlete. Um, you know, number one probably kept them from like breaking six bones, and, and number two probably also kept them from having twenty sacks because I mean he he made some miraculous runs just to get the ball, just to throw the ball away. But uh, yeah, it was you know it's over. They got it in, so you know the NBA's trucking along and. Major League Baseball seems like they're going to try to get the season started. And, Tell you what, man, Tampa's the place to be. The Raptors got to come through. Championship well, City. I think the Raptors are going to break that yeah, string. They suck. I don't think they quite have. Uh, no, not takes, when Norman but, Powell's uh, playing the better than anybody else. You're not winning anything. Norm Powell sounds like the captain of, uh, of the <laughs> ship. You know, the weekend guy, he kind of does look like uh, Isaac Delaboe's kid. He absolutely does. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought. I was like, man, that guy looks like Isaac from the robot. But then I was distracted because I was betting Pompano, which which lately has not been a brilliant move because it's Well, just I don't been... understand how. Because been... didn't their pick five last night pay like 13 grand? There was guys literally that I think they picked up from off the streets and let them drive. They should have picked me. I would have done it. Gaston LaRoe drove back. I bet on him, too. <laughs> I didn't have the six. I would have hit but, the try, but I didn't have the six. I didn't like the six. You know what's crazy? It, it gave us gave a sharp guy, man. They almost did a million dollars on, on that. Super Bowl Sunday. Three amateur races. On, 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 yeah, nothing else is open. And, um, they almost did a million dollars. I mean, it wasn't that long ago they were doing $200,000 a day. 
now they're doing a million a day almost every day so it's not it's not because uh there's some influx of great horses you know it's just hard work and a guy that does his job and that that gets that understands gamblers and understands racing and and um you know they you know you know what they found they found their niche reminds me of of a a up-and-coming rapper that's selling mixtapes out of his trunk That's awesome. That's what he reminds me of. I mean, he, he's <laughs> literally making something out of nothing. I mean, that, that's a compliment. I no, hope he doesn't take that the wrong way. That's definitely a compliment. I, I don't think he won't. Will and I mean, look what they did with site. He came, you know. And again, I, I don't want to discount everyone else, the racing secretary, and all the other people. But, but there seems to be one connection: is when this guy shows up, things get better. And I mean, he went to Sciota. And yes, it was kind of a pandemic thing, and that the, for a little bit they were the only track harness track running, so <laughs> there wasn't a lot of choices. But they started the free program thing, and you started looking at the races, and it's like, man, you know, the racing asylum is really pretty good, and uh, you know, their their handle numbers were off the charts as well. So uh, he's going to have to work his magic for, with with uh, with Hoosier because Hoosier's dead to me after the Breeders' Crown. <laughs> That, that place is dead to me. Well, that was a debacle, wasn't it? <laughs> dead, dead, D E A D, dead with that passing lane. They can stick that passing lane word. I'm just done with it. Well, at least the drivers picked up on it, and they all are using it. Yeah, that's all. But that's what all, all anyone wanted. No one wanted to pull. Everybody wanted. They all just sat and waited for the passing lane. It's. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what he can do with Hoosier. We'll, because he might have to be Jay Z as a rapper to get, and injured. you know what? He might uh, be I'm, that. He might be. He might be. But it, it's it's a uh, it's a great testament to to the you know the hard work he does and and to his you know his, his ability to relate to to the, the the guy making the making the bets the guy that's out there putting the win money in the windows and he he gets them. And that's something a lot of other tracks, um, both thoroughbreds and harness side, don't have. There's a lot of thoroughbred tracks that the, the people making the decisions don't get. Um, they don't get their, their player and their customer. And some of the big tracks seem like they've sold out to the, you know, to the biggest, to the biggest players. And they, you know, they get them, but at the expense of everyone else. But, um, you know, it, it just shows that with proper, um, you know, structure of, of of the bets of the 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 the, men, the betting menu and putting the races at the time and they can uh, handle the, the most and and zigging when you know they used to run Saturdays. Uh, you know, they finally figured out that running against the Meadowlands was just not worth it and and, and Mohawk. Uh, and, oh, there is news yeah, there that Mohawk, is. I think. Training is going to open back up, so hopefully they can get going back up there in Ontario because they were closed down despite doing a great job with the COVID because, uh, as usual, uh, it just shows that horse racing getting uh, getting crapped on is is uh, an international <laughs> deal. But um, but hopefully they can get, get back going and, and getting that go, you know, getting uh, – on track and, and hopefully Woodbine will be able to open up without a whole lot of uh, delays and 
and you know we get the triple crown going and it just seems um it just seems like i, I know new york has uh the emperor, emperor cuomo has decided <laughs> that uh, broadway uh plays are going to start you know being able to be uh to to open back up so so that kind of seems to bode well for um you know saratoga at the very least uh perhaps belmont stakes as well being that's in june um you know maybe that we can get some people back and and belmont of all the tracks of, of all the athletic facilities in the country belmont park seems right it's huge <laughs> to have a, a a crowd of a couple thousand people with social distancing um, you know, or some sort of social distancing. I, I still, I'm sorry, I, I still get a little, just at this point, we're almost a year into this thing. Can we just stop, like, like um, pointing out other people not doing whatever they're supposed to do? Because well, yeah, it's, it's, it's no one's listening. Yeah, no one's listening at this point. Like, at this point. So. like, at this point, it's like we're a year into this and all you're doing is aggravating and, and just, it's like, you made your point, and it's not working. I think, honestly, you know, in a lot of ways, people are stubborn, and I think that there's people that'll that'll you know won't do the right thing. And I, I just think that uh... yeah, it's 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 worn out at this point. I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. It is, and and I, I just don't know. I mean, I, like I said, we we live in Florida, and things here have been markedly different than a lot of other places in the country but the numbers are kind of the same so like it's hard to to say well this is going to be the death knell of someone if they don't do this because um you know they've gotten they've gotten away with it for so long i'm not you know i'm not saying that people shouldn't do the right thing of course people should do the right thing it's just we don't really need all the commentary anymore. Oh my God, there's a picture. And look, there's four <laughs> people in this picture don't have a mask on. Okay, well, that's great, but it's over. You weren't there. It has nothing to do with you. And, and like, just, just leave it, you know? Like, why keep bringing it up? Don't, isn't there something else in your life that you can spend your time on? I, I've really, you know, there's some things in, in, in my life that I've been able to successfully um, just kind of, push to the back burner and, and not let it become like, uh, you know, issues and, and, and not fret about it. And, and like, to me, and, and that doesn't mean I'm like, you know, perfect by any means. I mean, I, I mean, I freak out about this fucking mix all the time, <laughs> but you know, like just at some point, okay. Just going on and 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 on. It just, Okay. You know, everybody knows what you're going to say before you even say it. You had, you had Dan Rather complaining about the commercials last night. Oh, should the commercials be showing people that aren't social distancing? Like, I wanted to, I wanted to take a bat and, and, and just blast him over his old head. Like, it, it's a commercial. You know, it's a commercial. It's not real. Like, it's not real Bud Light people coming out of the forest. <laughs> you know, Cedric the Entertainer is not going to come out of the forest. With with Post Malone and, and 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 push the beer truck back up, Dan. It's not. It's 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 a commercial. It's fake. It, it's not real. That's my, that's my social commentary. For- 
Yes, sir. What's happening? So, this coming weekend, we have uh, three derby preps. Um, we have the Risen Star at Fairgrounds on Saturday. We have the El Camino Real Derby at Golden Gate. And we have, uh, on Monday, we have the Southwest. Oh, yeah, Monday's Oakland. a holiday, right, yeah. Yes, so that, that looks like uh, it's going to be um, the return of uh, Jackie's Warrior and um, the elusive horse. <laughs> the elusive horse that, uh, the, whose, whose name escapes me every time. I always go to the old school, elusive quality, yeah, that one. <laughs> the elusive quality horse. Uh, um, so that's uh, that's this coming weekend. Um, you know, looks like you know the the Derby prep, but essential quality, excuse me, not exclusive quality. There you go, essential quality. So that's going to be. Uh, I think him and Jackie's Warrior are both pointing to that race, uh, which is only a ten point race, but. Um, I mean, I, I still don't like the system. I, I think that uh, why, why is the Risen Star worth fifty points and the Southwest worth ten? It doesn't mean that much. I mean, the, why, why is there a race in Jap- Japan that's worth thirty? Yeah. There's no, there's no plan. That's what that means. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I, I get the the desire to have Japanese horses in there and that, which is fine. I mean, it, it makes business sense, and it'd be kind of interesting if uh, there was an actual decent contender from from over there. But um, but uh, the 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 races are now. You know, we're starting to get into the points races, and of course, the Risen Star is at a a Churchill facility, so um, I guess maybe you know the, their thought process is that. Uh, they want to give themselves a chance to, um, you know, have, have their race be a little more attractive. But, um, you know, the Southwest, the Oaklawn Park uh, Derby prep schedule is, is very popular. It's, it's been pretty successful. Uh, I'm sure, like I said, Mr. Baffert will be joining um, probably for the Rebel, which is a 50-point race in uh, – in, on March 13th, and it, it, of course, is a prep for the Arkansas Derby, which is on April 10th. Uh, I would be very surprised if we didn't see either Medina Spirit or um, or, or one of the, the Baffert horses in, in that race. Um, you know, when, when you look at the top 10, there are people got different top 10s, and there's four or five horses that, are consistently found essential quality, of course. Jackie's Warriors a little bit further down the line. Um, uh, life is good. Uh, certainly, uh, greatest honor. Um, maybe the the winners of the races this week. But there's still a lot of unproven horses. Prevalence being one that that won on Pegasus Day. That's uh, coming out of a seven furlong maiden race. A powerful win, but he's still uh, a horse that has one lifetime start here in, in, in mid-February and the, <laughs> the Derby's not that far away. So uh, some of these, these races, uh, the fountain of youth, which is, is, uh, you know, a little, a little more two and a half weeks away. Um, and it, it's held on February 27th. Um, that's the next 50 point race. Uh, then Aqueduct has the Gotham, which is a 50-point race. See, like, for me, the Gotham is a one-turn mile, right? 
and it sits between the wood and the withers, which are both mile and eighth races. So the Gotham being a 50-point race doesn't make sense if the Southwest is a 10-point race. Right. It, it, it's, it's just out of whack. I don't, I don't understand how they came up with that. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's, Southwest is a grade three race. Um, and, and it's, it's, you know, it's starting to become, uh, an even bigger, um, you know, an, an even bigger prep and it, it's an amount 16th. And I, I just, uh, I just think the Churchill's point system is just a little erratic and I, I wish they would, I wish they would change it because, uh, I mean, it's not this. It's not too long from now that we're gonna have hundred point races, where the horse who the horse who finishes fourth in the Louisiana Derby is is gonna get a hundred points, and the horse who finishes first in the South is gonna get ten points, and the horse who finishes first in the Southwest is gonna get ten points. I mean that that to me is just um, it's just strange. The Rebel, which has consistently been a better race. Than the Louisiana Derby held a week apart. One's a fifty, and one's a hundred. And yeah, again, Churchill owns Fairgrounds, so that's fine. But why is the Jeff Ruby Stakes a <laughs> hundred? Yeah, it makes no sense at all. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, I, I just think that the, the 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 system can be tweaked a little bit. And I think it hurts racing that, that we have so many 10-point races early in the season. Um, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile should, you know, they, they, they bumped up to a 20-point race. It should be a 40-point race. 40, right. You know, it's an important race. And it should be worth a little bit more. It's the Breeders' Cup. Um, Churchill should be encouraging horses to race earlier. Horses racing earlier is better for them. I don't care what people say. People are mostly wrong about horses. All this waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, it, it, it just has horses breaking their maiden and six furlongs immediately tossed into mile 16th races. And it's too much for a lot of them. And yeah, some of them will overcome it. But you're going to, the, the, the damage is done by taking really good horses and forcing them on the derby trail. And, you know, people might say, well, Who's forcing them on? Well, it's just the thing that that this is just the way it is because, like you said, some of them can overcome it, like like, uh, the rocket horse who won this race, okay? He went from a a sprint to a mile 16th, and and he he certainly passed the test. But most of them don't, and some of those ones that don't could be good horses along the line, you know, down the road. But if we ruin them, you know, trying to rush them, racing doesn't hurt horses if racing hurts your horse your horse isn't gonna last long anyways true so that's that's part of the you know that's part of the problem that's just part of the problem um the we go from 10 points to to 50 points to 100 points you know it's like bang 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 and it, it just uh I just think that the uh, some of the races it just doesn't make sense. I'm not sure why Oakland Park isn't uh, because, and, and these are these are lucrative races as well. So, I don't yeah, know. it's just one of those things. Like you know, 
and my father used to always tell me, you know, take care of the small stuff and then the big stuff will be easier to, to manage. Yeah. And it, it, this is one of those things, like there's a ton of things that small stuff, like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, running over top of each other, um, the point system, things that, that, that control your controllables, like they can control that yet they don't. And that's, that's one of those things that, you know, you tighten some of those things up. Other things might be able to become manageable on a different kind of level. So I just don't understand why they just don't control their controllables and do the things that they need to do in order to keep the, sh- the ship going in the right direction instead of 40 different directions. Uh, I think in a lot of ways that Churchill wants to, you know, manipulate things as much as they can because that's just the way they do business and sure but a lot of people want do both. you know i think a lot of people want you know things their way i mean who doesn't yeah. want things to go their way everybody wants to have their way but uh but um you know when with this i just think uh that the races just could be you know the the i'm mean, not talking huge numbers but the southwest shouldn't be a 10 point race it just shouldn't be it, it just, it just, at this point in the year, it just shouldn't be. Um, I mean, I, I look at the, uh, the, 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 the probables for the risen star and yeah, there's some, you know, some decent horses in there. And, but, um, I mean, keep me in mind too. I think, uh, Spendrift just brought, bought into the Deodora horse. Mm-hmm. Eh. He, he, he ain't got any of my money. That horse. I, he, he's not, I don't, I'm not impressed by him at all. I think he's gonna just be a horse that falls by the wayside. It, you know, he, he barely beat uh, Roman's horse that ran in the Sam Davis in, in the Kentucky Jockey Club, and that horse was was terrible. Dead, yeah, just didn't run a step. Um, you know, Todd Fincher's horse, uh, Senior Buscador, who ran really well at Remington, he's he's pointing for the Risen Star. Um, Proxy, who's okay. Uh, Midnight Bourbon for Asmussen, but the rest of them are just horses. Um, just, just, just horses. There, there's nothing, uh, there's, there's nothing spectacular going on there. Um, you know, this, like I said, the, the Southwest, you know, they might, it might not be a big field because they might scare a lot of them out, but you have the two-year-old champion and the horse who was the, the favorite to be the two-year-old champion in that race. So yeah, as a 10 point race kind of sucks <laughs> plainly put but yes that is correct <laughs> yeah well hmm. if we can't be plain here then where can we be plain we can't yeah because we're going in circles i don't know what everybody else is doing that's right because this is big monday it's actually almost big tuesday at this point it's almost <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, you know that's that's next week's races. Um, we will we'll have some some clarity. It'll be be interesting to see how cranked up um, those two courses are in, in the Southwest and, and and how that race plays out. Because you have to think that Jackie's Warrior is going to be sent right. You have to think that like he's not going to mess around anymore trying to rate as the, he just. Um, you know, that, that, that was disastrous in the Breeders' Cup. And of the other horses that 
are currently being pointed to that race, none of them really have a whole lot of speed. So you, you have to think that Jackie's Warrior might have a little bit of an advantage in a mile of 16th in a race that doesn't have a lot of pace in it. I don't know. I'm staying far away from that horse. It's got to prove it. I think it's time to take a shot back. Yeah, really. I'm telling you. Not this guy. <laughs> I'm telling you. going to have to beat me at a short price first. I don't know that it'll be that short. I mean, he's not going to be 20 to 1, sure. But, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see him at 2 to 1. Yeah, that, that's too short for me. You get him at 2 to 1 in the five-horse race where he's low speed? Yeah, that's too short. I'm taking him. I'm taking a shot. But we'll see. We'll see who even shows. You know, I mean, in horse racing, it, the best laid plans often wind up, uh, you know, coming apart. So let's hope that uh, that they actually get in the gate and and um, you know we we get these you know the best the the kind of the name horses back uh, back in the races. Yeah, the ones that are left that aren't officially retired. Yeah. <laughs> officially or unofficially. <laughs> well, again, thank you, my man, for for joining us here on Big Monday. And thank you for being our Going in Circles uh, on-the-ground reporter at, uh, at Tampa Bay. Absolutely. That's my pleasure. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got all the pictures you can handle. Twitter did anyway. <laughs> That's right. Twitter, Twitter had pictures. Um, so we'll uh, we'll talk this week for sure, and uh, keep your phone on in case you see any drunk guys stumbling around. And uh, I'm always on the my head's on a swivel now. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Um, all right, my man. Thank you for all everything, right. and we'll talk. All right, thanks. All right, thanks everybody. Bye.